Good morning again, and welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. And as we begin today, let's do the same thing we did last week. Let's start by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, We can do it more clearly than the kids did, but certainly less adorably than the kids did. So let's stand if you're able. Uh, We will say the Lord's Prayer together. You can say it here in the room with us. You can say it if you're watching online. We will have the words on the screen if you need to look at that. So starting in Matthew chapter 6, the second part of verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You can be seated. So this past Sunday, we read Matthew chapter six, verses five through eight, which set the stage for the content of the Lord's Prayer that we really begin studying this morning. Before Jesus uttered a single syllable of the Lord's Prayer itself, he instructed us in how and how not to pray. First, Jesus made it clear that God expects his people to pray. And if you read the Old Testament, that was nothing new. People had prayed long before Jesus's incarnation. But second, Jesus reminds us to pray humbly, not praying in an attempt to make ourselves look good for others or trying to impress God with our supposed holiness. And third, Jesus encourages us to pray confidently. Because God already knows what we need. Thus, we do not need to convince him or inform him of anything. We are invited to call out to God in prayer. And this is a privilege that Christians should not take lightly because it was secured for us at the cost of Jesus's broken body and shed blood. When you think of it that way, it would be ridiculous to not pray. As one theologian put it, not praying would be like leaving buried treasure in the ground when you know it's there. And if our excuse is that we don't know how to pray, well, the good news is that Jesus teaches us how in the Lord's Prayer. So with that, open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles. But before we read, let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the gathering of your people. Uh, As Rick said a few minutes ago, the past six months have been chaos uh, on the entire world in so many different walks of life. Just about nothing has been untouched by the virus. But thank you that we can be here this morning in your presence. Thank you for those who are here for the first time, those who are Here for the third or fourth time, those who are new, those who are familiar, Lord, thank you for this group of people on this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that as we read from your word this morning, as we think about our relationship with you, uh, as we consider who we are and who you are, uh, I pray that we would be brought to our knees uh, in prayer, in adoration, in worship. Uh, Lord, we are just in awe of you. 
We thank you for your son who died for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us. We thank you for your word that teaches us. And we thank you for your church. Uh, And we thank you for this church. Lord, we love you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one thing that makes the Lord's Prayer unique is how brief it is. When you put it all together, Matthew's record of the Lord's Prayer is just barely over 50 words, which really is not that long. And it makes sense that the Lord's Prayer would be brief, considering what Jesus said last week. He specifically instructs his disciples to not pray like the Gentiles, who try to impress God with many words. So Jesus gives us just a few words. But make no mistake, just because the Lord's Prayer is brief does not make it simple or shallow. Each phrase, really each word of the Lord's Prayer, is jam-packed with meaning and depth. And that's certainly true of the portion that we focus on today. And that is the opening words of verse 9. So again, reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're going to take this verse apart, piece by piece, basically word by word. But before we do that, a quick thought on the first part of verse 9. The part that you're tempted to skip over. Jesus gives us direct instructions about how to pray. Pray then like this. You don't get much more straightforward than that. Pray then like this. In Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, this is Jesus' response to the disciples' request. They come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus says, pray then like this. If you have struggled to pray as a Christian, if you don't know how to begin, if you don't know what to say, or you just can't seem to stick with it consistently, and you wonder if you're doing it wrong, well, my advice to you would be simple. Say the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. If Jesus thought that this was a good place for his disciples to start in their prayer, then it's a good place for you to start as well. Pray then like this, if you don't know what else to do. Theologian John Calvin referred to the Lord's Prayer as a sure method of prayer. He argued that God knew, in his words, That we were not fully aware of how great our poverty was. Not fully aware of what was right to ask or for our interest to ask. Our capacity had failed us. Calvin argues that that's why God gave us the Lord's Prayer. Again, in his words, it contains everything which it is lawful to wish. Everything which is conducive to our interest. Everything which it is necessary to demand. In other words, we're praying for exactly what we need when we pray the Lord's Prayer, because it came from God himself. Calvin adds, this gives us the great comfort of knowing that as we ask, almost in his... If you've ever worried 
Am I praying for the right things? Am I asking the right things? Am I saying the right things? Well, if you say the Lord's Prayer, you don't have to worry about that. He adds, the only begotten Son of God put these words into our lips and thus relieves our minds of all hesitation. If you don't know where to start, don't know how to begin, don't feel like you have any idea of what prayer even looks like, Pray then like this. Say the Lord's Prayer. That is a wonderful launching point for the prayer of any believer. But now let's move ahead to our first word in the prayer itself, and that is the word our. Plural, our. What could possibly be significant about the word our? Well, the fact that we pray to our Father tells us that this prayer is not meant to be prayed alone. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with praying this prayer by yourself. But we remember that we are not the only ones praying it. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded that we are not the only Christians out there. We're reminded that we have brothers and sisters, that we're part of a family, That we are members of a collective body, the body of Christ, the church. We're reminded that we are meant to be part of a local church, which Paul called in 1 Timothy a few weeks back, the household of God. It's also worth remembering that as we pray to our Father, we stand on the shoulders of those believers who came before us, who prayed this same prayer. Those people who God used to pass the faith down to people like us. As we see in Hebrews chapter 11, we are part of a great cloud of witnesses across time and space. We pray to our Father together. Now, while we may sometimes pray this prayer in private, we do not pray it alone. The New Testament makes it clear that the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. And this prayer is not meant to be prayed in isolation either, even if we're distanced. But not only does the word our mean that we pray this prayer with fellow believers, but in a sense, we pray this prayer with Jesus himself. When Jesus used the word our with his disciples, He was inviting us into a form of closeness with God that he himself has. Now, of course, we cannot claim to be one with the Father in the exact same way that Jesus can. We are not part of the Trinity. We are not co-equal with the Father the way Jesus is. But by faith in Jesus, we can have a kind of closeness with God that sin once made impossible. Think back to Adam and Eve being ejected from the Garden of Eden, the separation that came between what used to be a very close and intimate relationship with God. Well, we cannot have that close, intimate relationship with God apart from Jesus. So we pray to our God with our fellow believers. And in a sense, we pray to our word of the Lord with Jesus himself. Now, that's a good segue into the second word of the Lord's Prayer. Once we get past our, next we see the word Father. 
Now, the idea of God as a father was not completely unheard of in the Bible. It happens several times in the Old Testament. It's always in reference to God's unique relationship with Israel. But while it wasn't unheard of, it also wasn't common. It only happens a handful of times in the Old Testament that we see God referred to as father. But then when we get to the New Testament, this imagery of God as father starts to appear left and right. Joshua referenced that passage from Ephesians. That's a good example of it. And it occurs especially here in the Lord's Prayer. It seems that with the incarnation of Jesus, something has changed. While God is the same as he has always been, the New Testament ushers God's people into a new kind of access to him. A new kind of intimacy with him that had not been the case before. All of a sudden, anybody who believes in Jesus, slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, all can address God as father. The theological term for this is known as adoption. J.I. Packer once called adoption the greatest privilege the gospel offers. The greatest privilege the gospel offers. The Apostle Paul talks about adoption in passages like Galatians chapter 4. Again, in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. By faith in Jesus Christ, sinners like us, declared by God to be saints, adopted into his family by his grace, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you can have the audacity and the boldness and the joy. I can have the audacity and the boldness and the joy of calling God our Father. We who were once enemies are now sons and daughters. We who once deserved wrath are now given an eternal reward. We who were once orphans are now heirs. We can now call God, who was once known to us as only a severe judge, we can now call him our Father. So we pray together, our, to God as Father. And moving ahead, we're taught that our Father is in heaven. That phrase, in heaven, isn't so much about God's location. It's not like we can take a helicopter or a plane or a rocket ship and go to heaven. Nothing of which we can conceive of can contain God's presence. It's not so much about location. But knowing that God is in heaven reminds us of how utterly different God is from us, his creatures. 
It reminds us of how utterly different God is from our world. His creation. God is transcendent. That means that he is greater than our most brilliant insights. More beautiful than our most poetic words. More amazing beyond our wildest dreams. He is so completely other. So completely different that we needed him to reveal himself to us in scripture for us to even begin to understand him. So being reminded that God is in heaven isn't so much about his location. It's about keeping his glory, his majesty, his power at the forefront of our minds. And those are all very good things to remember when we dare to approach him in prayer. This fact that God is in heaven ought to give us a healthy dose of humility as we pray. In the words of the preacher from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. In the Bible, whenever someone got even the slightest taste of God's heavenly glory, the Old Testament prophets come to mind, or the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, anytime someone got even the slightest preview of God's heavenly glory, they were instantly humbled by his greatness and reminded of their smallness. God is in heaven. And we are not. And that reality ought to drive us to praise him. It ought to drive us to humble ourselves as we pray to him. So again, we have our father in heaven. And that brings us to our final portion of verse nine. Hallowed be your name. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God's name is important. To put it lightly. At the burning bush, God introduced himself to Moses as I am who I am, the Lord. The greatness of God's name couldn't even be exhaustively communicate in human words. Later in the Ten Commandments, God expressly commands the Israelites not to take his name in vain. Not to throw it around flippantly. Not to say it lightly. And in Ezekiel 36, God punishes Israel because their sin had caused the nations to mock and insult his name. But then God also promises to restore them for the glory of his name. Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 22, God says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Lord God. When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God cares about his name. And so should his people. And that goes not just for when we pray, not just for the words that we say, 
Not just the things that come out of our mouths when we stub our toe or smash our finger with a hammer, but for everything else we do. To hallow something means to honor it, to revere it, to set it apart. There's a sense in which God's name is so intrinsically holy that really there's nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do to make it less holy. But in another sense, we ought to strive to hallow God's name by refusing to associate it with sin. The way the Israelites had done, profaning it among the nations with their actions. As Christians, as bearers of God's name, that means that we flee from sin ourselves. We hallow God's name by living hallowed lives. We bring God's name honor and reverence and glory by living honorable and reverent and holy lives. So when we pray, not if, but when, we pray then like this. We pray together in solidarity with our fellow believers in different times and in different places, invited into this closeness with our God by Jesus himself. And we pray to God as Father, an intimate relationship secured for us by Christ's broken body and shed blood on the cross for our sins. We come to him comfortably, confidently, joyfully as his children, because he is our Father. But we also keep in mind that he is in heaven and that we are on earth. And so even though we do have this incredibly close relationship with God, we still pray with a healthy sense of wonder, awe, humility, and even fear. And we seek to hallow his name, not just with our prayers, but with the entirety of our lives. We hallow God's holy name by living as the holy people he has declared us to be through his son who he has called us to be in his word, who he has set us apart to be by his spirit. Maybe you've heard the sentiment before that we're all children of God. It's often uttered in some sort of atmosphere of kind of the celebrities gathering together and singing, we are the world. We are the children of God. We're all children of God. And that's true in the sense that we're all created by God. We all bear his image. We all possess dignity and worth as his creatures. However, it's not the whole story. In John chapter 1 verse 12, we read that those who believe in Jesus have been given the right to become children of God. That word become implies that we weren't always God's children in the fullest sense before we believed in, before we believed in Jesus. We can only truly call out to God as our Father when we pray by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's only thanks to Jesus' broken body and shed blood that God in heaven is our Father and that God in heaven hears our prayers. It's only thanks to Jesus that we can look forward to being in His heavenly presence forever. 
And as we said earlier, heaven is not so much a place on a map. Heaven is where God is. And as we'll see next week, that's where Christians long to be, pray to be, more than anywhere else. Perhaps you've also heard public relations people say something to the effect of, you know, I'm not sure we should have our name attached to that. Maybe a business or an institution or a group says, you know, I'm not entirely sure if we want to associate ourselves with that movement or those people or this cause. Well, when you really think about it, all the evidence indicates that God should not attach his name to us. He needs new PR people. Because he is holy and we are sinners. And those two do not go together, do they? But by his grace, God has attached his name to you. God has attached his name to me. So let's hallow his name together, not just in the ways that we pray, but in the ways that we live. And may we go out and share that name with the world around us, that more might be invited into God's family, that they too might have this privilege of calling him father. May we announce the gospel to the world so that more sinners might look forward to standing in God's heavenly presence forever. And may God's name be hallowed, both now and in eternity. This is not just our prayer, but this is our mission. So may we live then like this. May we pray then like this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Again, one of the points of your word this morning is that we pray this together. We pray to you as our Father, that we are not the only Christians. I pray for other believers out there who are gathering at this moment, some of whom are in churches very similar to ours, in very similar contexts as ours, and some of whom are gathering in very, very, very different contexts. People who look different, people who sound different, people who do things differently, but still are brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for our fellow believers that your church would be your church, that we would be the holy nation, the royal priesthood that you call us to be, that we would stick out in this world the way you call us to be, that we would be bold and courageous and holy and humble in this world. And Lord, thank you that we can come to you as our Father. Thank you that we do not approach you trembling with terror. We do not approach you with shame, with embarrassment, with guilt. We do not approach you expecting condemnation or punishment. We approach you knowing that you are a good, loving Father. And it's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us that we can call you our Father. And Lord, we know that you are in heaven and that we are on earth. We know that we live in this fallen world that in so many ways is absent from you. In so many ways, we long for your presence to be here. We long for your kingdom to come, as we'll pray next week. We know that there are signs of 
your handiwork in this world. We can look at creation and know that you made it. But Lord, we also know that there is a separation right now between heaven and earth. We thank you that you have bridged that gap, the gap of sin that separates heaven and earth, that separates us from you. And Lord, we are just in awe of you, that you are in heaven. We humbly praise you. We stand in awe of you. And Lord, we long to hallow your name. I pray that we would do that in our individual lives as we leave this place with wherever it is that we go from here, whatever it is that we do, wherever you've called us to and sent us to. And I pray that we would hallow your name as a church, that we would bring you honor and glory rather than shame or or disrepute. I pray that we would honor your name in our community, honor your name in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever it is that we go, Lord. And I pray that your name has been hallowed today by the things that we've done, the things that we've said here in this service this morning. Again, Lord, we love you. We honor you. We hallow your name. We thank you for Christ. We glorify you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.